What are the potential consequences when healthcare sector entities make mistakes or miscalculations when filing health data breach reports to government regulators? I'm Marianne Kolbesak McGee, Executive Editor at Information Security Media Group. Today I'm speaking with privacy and security attorney Helen Oshlowski of law firm Attorneys at Oshlowski LLC about breach reporting mistakes that healthcare sector entities should avoid making. So Helen, most covered entities and business associates will say that they strive to be compliant with federal HIPAA and state regulations related to health data breach reporting, but I understand that you've also observed that entities unnecessarily sometimes report incidents as data breaches. And if they do that, they might end up facing a variety of negative potential consequences that they should have avoided. Please explain. Yes, that's right, Marianne. We can't tell from the actual reports that are listed on HHS's portal. We can't go into the minds of, you know, what those reporting parameters were and what criteria the organizations leaned on to make their determination. So I don't want to suggest at all that the ones that have been reported necessarily were wrongfully done so, but through my experience over 10 years, and I represent and advise many, many different clients and hear many, many different stories and observed many processes, and I know that the analysis process is not always completely clear to organizations and they may not be aware of the drill down that's completely necessary to evaluate an incident and give rise to whether that incident gives rise to actual notification and reporting obligations under the breach notification rule standards because those are quite specific. You know, I've observed this and I want organizations out there to know that when you come across this incident that you need to take a look at the facts and the circumstances and keep in mind that ultimate standard that reporting and notification is only legally required when there is a more than a low probability that the protected health information has been compromised. Whether or not something has been compromised is yet another legal standard requiring the evaluation of four factors that HHS has laid out in the rule, including taking a look at the nature and extent of the PHI involved, who the unauthorized person is on the other end who has received the information or gained access to the information, whether the PHI was actually acquired and viewed, and to the extent to which the risks to that information have been fully mitigated. And if you go back into the preamble to the breach notification rule, which came wrapped up together in the, in the omnibus rule with high-tech amendments, there's quite a robust discussion that HHS has there in how to evaluate those factors. It you know, spans a couple of pages in the preamble, and it's quite instructive in letting us know what kind of factors they look at. So not many organizations go back into the preamble and and take a look at those sort of tests and and how those are applied, but it's very helpful in knowing how HHS views those criteria because, as you mentioned, what this whole interview is about, if you can justify or you can demonstrate that there is a low probability based on those factors and those analysis, then it may very well be that you don't have to report an incident because it does not rise to the level of a legal breach, which, of course, if you do report, there are a number of consequences that flow from that. 
So, Helen, what's a common example of data security incidents that get reported as HIPAA breaches but might not necessarily rise to the level of a HIPAA breach? And what are some of the possible unnecessary consequences that an organization could face if they do report something as a breach but it really isn't? Of course, the scenario could run the gamut. These are always fact-sensitive, but let's take an example that was recently in the news, not just recently, but has been in the news with employees that are in your organization. We hear a lot or have often heard about employees that might snoop, go into records. Sometimes they do it just because they're curious. Sometimes there is a more personal reason. I've come across stories where employees have went into records that they're not authorized to go into because they have a family member or someone else that they have an interest in knowing about their medical treatment or why they're in the hospital or whatnot. So there could be a gamut of reasons why an employee goes into records, none of which are permissible. In fact, it's important to note that even though the HIPAA enforcement piece and HIPAA compliance enforcement piece by OCR really goes to the or- at the organizational level, and a person who's snooping or going to records cannot be assessed civil monetary penalties. That always goes to the organizational level. But these actions do have a potential criminal liability here, and there have been employees across the nation that actually have been prosecuted for exactly those kinds of snooping things, probably most famously going into records where there's a, a famous individual or a, you know, a prominent individual that has been going in. So snooping is never good, but to give your example, to answer your question as an example, there could be a situation theoretically that somebody accessed a record, say, or two. If it's accidental, of course, and they didn't intend to do it, and that is revealed during the investigation, that actually would not constitute a breach. There's three safe harbors under the breach notification rule, so an inadvertent access would not be reportable. But if you do go past and it's not an inadvertent access, if they explain to you during investigation that, look, you know, I went in, I was just looking around for examples um, because I had a case like this, there could be a myriad of, uh, of explanations that an employee can give you for why they were accessing medical records for which they did not have any real clinical or need-to-know reason. And as I said, this is very fact-specific, but if the explanation seems innocuous enough, if you will, and the employee is completely cooperative and the employee has not further disclosed that information to anybody, um, even though that access could constitute an incident or a breach, since there's a low probability that that information was been compromised because the employee is cooperative. The employee made all, gave an explanation which was not one that should cause concern. And if you can get that employee to sign a statement, as HHS has explained in its preamble, a statement saying, you know, a confidentiality statement saying, I've access, I agree not to disclose or redisclose or use this information anyway, then you might be able to determine it's been fully mitigated and you would not have to report that incident. So there's one kind of an example, and there are many, many examples like that, and it is, of course, again, fact-sensitive, but the consequences for not going through that thorough analysis and going through all those four prongs is that any incident that is reported to the breach portal on Secretary of HHS's website 
any reported breach will be investigated. There will be a HIPAA compliance review conducted by OCR. In fact, if you take a look at the whole entire list of settlement agreements that have been reached between entities and OCR, I think nearly half of them have resulted from self-reported breaches. So you will, if you do self-report a breach, understand that you will be there will be a HIPAA compliance review, and that could extend not only to investigating the facts surrounding the incident, but also could extend and begin to extend to other aspects of your compliance program. And of course, your name will also, if there's 500 or more, your name will appear on HHS's website. So of course, that wall of shame, as everybody calls it, it puts your organization in a bad light. And of course, from a public publicity perspective, that's never good. There's also a final consequence that the reporting not only to HHS, but if there's the notifications that also follow to the individuals who are affected by that incident. If you are, again, applying that same standard, and if it doesn't really rise to a high probability or more than a low probability that the PHI has been compromised, you are now notifying individuals of an incident that may not really be compromising their information. That could invite them to seek out an attorney to evaluate the situation uh, and potentially sue, which has been you know, the case in many cases, even if there's arguably no real underlying wrongdoing by the organization because uh, you know, they'll proceed because they're, they know that they could at least be able to possibly get a settlement out of it, which is not a good thing. So there's a lot of consequences. And again, all the more important why you understand the full gamut of the analysis. And there's a judgment call at the end. You know, I don't want to downplay and try to prevent organizations from submitting notices, but because indeed, even in the settlement agreements with OCR, there are a number of them where OCR has actually tacked on civil monetary penalties for failure to notify or for delayed notification of breach notification. So the main point is understand the variables, understand the prongs, understand the analysis, go through it, document, show your burden of proof, and make a determination which end in which way you need to come out on. So Helen, what about ransomware attacks? The Department of Health and Human Services Office for Civil Rights has previously issued guidance saying that in most cases, ransomware is a reportable HIPAA breach. What's your take on this, especially as we see ransomware attacks evolving where there aren't necessarily just, you know, data and systems that are being encrypted, but sometimes these attackers are also exfiltrating data? Yeah, the exfiltration really puts it into the whole entire bucket. But, you know, as you alluded to or, or and know, there was a guidance document on ransomware specifically issued, I think at this point a couple of years back. But the ransomware fact sheet, among other things, it goes into whether or not the ransomware attack is a breach. And in one of the Q&A sections, in one of the uh, Section 5, actually, I want to point out that OCR itself says the presence, just mere, the mere presence of ransomware and malware on a covered entity or business associate's computer system is first considered a security incident, okay, under the rule. And they acknowledge that a deeper analysis needs to be undertaken as well. Even in those circumstances, you know, the same test, the same legal test, the same analysis needs to be undertaken just like any other situation. It is going to be fact-specific. And the OCR points out that that deeper analysis must take place and should involve evaluating whether or not there is a legal breach or a breach as defined under the breach notification rule as a result of that security incident. And they say that, you know, the presence of ransomware in and of itself may or may not 
rise to the level of an impermissible disclosure. Now, you are losing control of the information. So that's an issue. And it's fact-specific. So, for example, can you contain the ransomware and segregate that from the rest of your system? Can you contain it where the attackers have no way of extracting the information? Do you have a, a mirror set of information meaning that you have a backup that you can work off of where the primary data that's been captured is not material to your further operations and uh, your operations going forward. So all of these things, again, will depend on the facts. And as in the ransomware guidance document, they said very specifically, and I'm quoting, whether or not the presence of ransomware would be a breach under HIPAA rules is a fact-specific determination. A breach is defined as the acquisition, access, use, disclosure of PHI in a manner not permitted under the privacy rule, which compromises the security or privacy of PHI. So you're right. In most cases, you know, it's often going to be the, the fact that the ransomware attacks will rise to the level of breach, but there absolutely could be circumstances where they do not, again, depending on if it's contained, it's not extracted, so on and so forth. So. And of course, if they don't rise to that level, then they would not be reportable as well. So Helen, as we're dealing with the COVID-19 crisis, are there potential COVID-19 related privacy and security incidents that you think could happen but aren't necessarily reportable breaches? Are there certain common circumstances that healthcare entities are facing right now that they should really do a careful analysis of before they decide that, yes, we should report this as a breach or maybe we shouldn't? In this situation, I, I actually wanted to go to the flip side, which is to remember that the presence of the COVID-19 emergency doesn't actually suspend other aspects of HIPAA compliance. And HHS has had to come out and OCR has come out to remind us of things like media. There was just recently last week that guidance document on media because we can imagine that the story is inherently important to cover which has compelled a number of individuals both inside the hospital to bring media in or share with media information that extends too much. I've read one case in New York where allegedly a video has been shared with a media group. There's been situations where they wanted to bring media into the emergency room. There's been a myriad of things that are all over the news and stuff where you can hear. And you can imagine it seems important to want to share that story, but patient's privacy is just as important, and we can't presume that everybody agrees to have their information shared with media without first getting their approval or authorization. That includes having the media to enter departments or locations in a hospital where there are a number of patients receiving services there that might not necessarily be amenable to having the media there during those times. So, you know, you need to remember that that was an incident um, that has hit the news. Telemedicine also, we saw the waiver that was issued. And while they've waived or are exercising enforcement discretion with regard to providers using telemedicine applications without potentially, say, a BAA in place, because in, in the interest of getting things up and running in time, that does not necessarily completely eliminate a need to do some screening for security. And if an incident does happen, that certainly might be reportable. So, you know, caution is might be more prudent to give under those circumstances is to remember that breaches in this case might be reportable depending on the facts and circumstances. So all the things I've said before still apply 
So if you do have an incident, even if it's related to COVID-19, you need to go through the, the breach risk analysis, go through the four-factor test, and determine whether or not it's reportable. But it's still the presence of the COVID-19 emergency does not somehow eliminate the need to go through that analysis when an incident does occur. Thanks, Helen. I've been speaking to attorney Helen Oshoslowski. I'm Marianne Kolbesak-McGee of Information Security Media Group. Thanks for listening.